Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning and thank you for being with us on this Tuesday morning. Um, looking outside in Johannesburg, I am concerned that the next time we see the sun will be as things move from summer to winter. At least then we will be assured of seeing the sun, but swimming will be a little bit uncomfortable. Today is slightly different. I do have on the line, uh, my guest is a colleague, Gabriel Krauser. He's been on the program before. Um, we are going to talk after the 9.20 break about the national, the state of disaster and the National uh, Corona Command Council and what should really be happening to it. He's been in the forefront of a petition to have the state of disaster cancelled, uh, if that's the word, and he will give us some insight into that. I have then, since he is on the line, I've, I've invited him to sort of chip in on the things that I chat to you about in, in the next few minutes. And we're going to start with the epistle according to St. Cyril from the desk of the President 2022, colon 3. And that is his weekly letter to us, the subject of uh, St. Cyril. And it's the usual sort of recap of things we know about and really don't need to know anything more about. Um, he, he harks back to the uh, to the death of Archbishop Tutu. He talks about that no sooner had uh, had he been buried, or he wasn't in fact buried, but the services for him had been held, then the, the fire at the parliamentary buildings had been brought under control. And then um, sort of almost to ruin his week completely was the report from Judge Zonder, the first report of the Judge of Judge Zonder into the State Capture Commission. Um, And it's always amazing. Uh, Our president always talks about things the way it's almost like he's he's talking, he's reporting something from a third party and he talks about the report details how several public institutions were infiltrated, looted and severely damaged and they include SAA, the Government Communication Information System and SARS. What I find fascinating about this and uh, Gabriel, I'd be interested in your comment on it, is that we all knew these things were happening pretty much as they were happening. The, the the media was reporting these things. And he's approaching this as if it suddenly come as a terrible shock to the ANC. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it is a, it's a shock, hey? Yeah, I another think, one. <laughs> I think to many South Africans, shock is one of the first predicates we associate with our president because of the number of times he's been shocked at uh, things like load shedding, I think what there's two points on the Zondo uh, report that I'd like to make. The one is that Ramaphosa did not just have the same kind of perspective that you and I had on uh, state capture. We had the perspective of ordinary citizens who were not invited into the smoked-filled cigar lounges. We were not chinking uh, glasses of single malt whiskey over uh, important deals with billions of rands. We just weren't on the inside track. 
in the way that Ramaphosa was. He was the chair of the Cater Deployment Committee, which was in charge of putting uh, ANC loyalists in positions of power in state-owned enterprises. Uh, as it turns out, uh, the committee has definitely been involved in putting people in the judiciary. Of course, we don't know for sure what uh, uh, John Slover's role in that was, but let's not get sidetracked. Uh, he, he was involved with government at the most intimate level. He was involved with Jacob Zuma. He was deputy to Jacob Zuma. So he, he really has even less reason to be shocked than the average South African. And the average South African is completely unsurprised. The second point is this. If I, if I'm, sorry, go ahead. Can I, can I yeah. I'll follow up with the second point. Um, I, I need to go to the market, as they say. Hmm. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Gabriel, you were talking about your second point in relation to the Zondo Commission report. Yeah, thank you. So th- this is this is the opposite. This is something that I think really is surprising, and 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 maybe surprising both to listeners and to Sir Ramaphosa, uh, who may not have, on the basis of what I've seen him respond to, uh, made it all the way to page seven hundred and ninety six. <laughs> Well which done. is which is really if you want to read the Zondo report, you should really start at page seven hundred and ninety six because that's where it really gets good. This is the point at which uh, Zondo asks himself, "Is this just about a few bad apples, or is there something systemically wrong with how government works?" And his answer is a clear yes. There is a problem with the rules of the game. Even with the best will in the world, uh, things would go wrong. And they would go wrong in a way that would incentivize corruption and that would create lots of confusing situations in which people can steal and eat the money, uh, the taxpayers' money. Uh, this is Zondo's analysis of, of how and why that works. Section 217 of the Constitution, which, by the way, is right at the end of the Constitution. So we're the end of the Zondo report, the end of the Constitution. This is where <laughs> everyone's eyes glaze over and they stop caring. But this is where it really gets good. End right? days. <laughs> The end of the Constitution says that when the government is buying stuff with taxpayer money, it's got to get value for money. It's got to get the best product at the cheapest price, soonest, best, and so on. But it also says, Section 2, that that can't get in the way of uh, racial transformation, so we say. And, and Zondo says this is inevitably going to lead to situations and clearly has led to situations where there is a conflict where on the one hand, you're looking for the best, cheapest product, best value for money. And on the other hand, you're looking for the, the product that's coming from uh, groups that are racially preferred. And which one do you then go for? And he says this confusion is at the heart of the problem because a lot of procurement officers are going, are clearly buying stuff with taxpayer money. That's not great value for money. But they think that this is what they're supposed to do because the law is saying so. And then others take advantage of that to steal on top of it, basically to to get kickbacks and so on. Zondo says, what's the solution to this problem? He says, the solution is that one of these things must be primary and the other one should just be an afterthought, basically. Then he says, well, which one should be primary? He says, clearly, value for money should be primary because this is the people's money. You've got to get the best bang for the buck when you're spending people's money. The law has to change. He says, the Constitution is fine, basically, because the Constitution says the primary interest has to be value for money. So if two products are exactly equal in all ways 
and one happens to be sold by a white person and one happens to be sold by a black person, the constitution does allow for the government to then decide to buy it from the black person. But if it's five rand cheaper coming from whitey, because it's the people's money, and that's and it's exactly the same products, you've got to get the best value for, for money. That's what the constitution requires. That is not what the law, our legislation, the PPPFA, the MFPA, the PMFA, <laughs> there are several laws that Zondo goes through. They do not require this. They all say, you know, you can pick and choose. You don't really have to. You can buy more expensive things. It's fine. Waste the people's money. It'll be good for future development or something. No, no, no. Zondo says... If you want to understand the systemic intractable problem that's going to keep recreating uh, corruption in our government, you need to look at that. And this is coming from the most authoritative uh, judicial inquiry in the new South Africa. Three years every day, this has been like generations and Isidingo, you know, Dave Bolden the Beautiful. It's on everyone's screens. Everyone knows Zondo. No one really knows this bit of what he's concluded um, because there's been a sort of studious shroud of silence drawn around it. But if Ramaphosa does come across page 796, I think he really would be quite shocked and maybe, maybe even shocked into, into action, uh, calling for his party to do genuine reform the way Zondo wants it. I, 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 Gabriel, I would say that's probably unlikely for, uh, to, I mean, it makes absolute sense that the, the, the larger population must benefit most over the few that benefit from the uh, from from the application of BE. Um, but I my, my sense is, and if you could give me a, a, a brief comment on this, is that it's 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 the the processes that you discuss are baked into the ANC. It's not a matter of choosing. Which, which, uh, which to prefer. It's about the fact that the, the ANC's entire, um, being is molded around essentially fiddling with procurement. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that's true. I didn't think that in 2017, 2018. I, I really was one of those guys who saw the competition between Ramaphosa and Lamini Zuma and thought, well, if Ramaphosa wins, He's gonna really, he's really gonna change things. I was very excited. Um, and then he became the head of the RET faction, right? Uh, mm-hmm. radical economic transformation is something the ANC's been talking about for many decades. Uh, headline issues have been expropriation without compensation, national health insurance, prescribed assets. All of these things have been pushed under Ramaphosa unlike ever before, as well as sort of basic in- income grants, which is now becoming a de facto reality with, uh, 10 million more people getting on the social grant system under Ramaphosa than before. But, you know, so some of that might be accident. Some of it is clearly very deliberate, starting with his signature policy of, of undermining property rights. So, yeah, I think, I think Ramaphosa in becoming the head of the, the real RET faction, he sort of, he dashed the hope of, of, of any reformers that might have been left. Uh, and some of, you know, one of whom was in cabinet, I would say Tito Mbueni was, was wiser than the RET, but, uh, he's, he's given up. So I can't really see any a reason for anyone else to, yeah, it does seem yeah. like you should give up. Uh, yeah. hope. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I keep my mind open. I can be surprised. I, I, I'm way past keeping my mind open. I think that one of the problems, and this is my last point uh, before we move on to uh, the issue, the, the issue, the big issue at hand is that people really have struggled to understand that Ramaphosa is a socialist. He's a committed socialist. He's, he, when he speaks about it, he's very proud of it. And so I'm not sure I understand the, if there really is a distinction between the RET faction and the reformers. 
I just think it's the sort of nasty guys versus the not so nasty guys because they Cyril is not Cyril is not a reformer. Um, not not in, certainly not in the sense that we need we know, and not in the sense that the uh, that, that the country needs. Yeah, I, I do think so, it's probably fair to describe him as as as, as a ser- as a as an earnest social democrat. Um, he really does think that the solution is more state intervention. Right. Um, yeah. And one way you can tell is is just like the the National Minimum Wage Commission, which he chaired. You know, besides being head of the Cater Deployment Committee, one of the other exactly. things he was head of was the Wage Commission. And South Africa has the highest minimum wage relative to the median wage with the highest unemployment rate in the world. I have documented that and shared that with economists in Oxbridge, in Ivy League universities, um, and they, I, I mean, they, they sort of can't decide whether they should laugh or cry, uh, but the numbers definitely add up to us having the, the worst the most labor repulsive socialist style labor repulsive regime in the world. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, Gabriel, we, uh, we're coming to the state of disaster and uh, the Disaster Management Act. And you've been spearheading a campaign to put an end to the state of to, to the to, to the end of the state of disaster, which has been going on for 21 to 20 two odd months before we go into before you give us an idea of how what the campaign is and and, and how you've uh, how you've launched it can you just give us an idea of how the disaster management act is meant to deal with a disaster like the epidemic and why it's not it's no longer pertinent or relevant okay so when i over the over the uh, festive season i spent uh, some i talked to a few members of parliament who voted for the Disaster Management Act. And none of them foresaw that it would ever be applied in the way that it's been applied. There was a, there was a little bit of a sense of regret, I must say, because the Disaster Management Act, you can, if you read it, you can see how people thought in passing it that this is how it'll be used. You know, there's a terrible storm or there's like an earthquake and that knocks out the power grid. There's, you know, there's some, there's some major event uh, which requires very rapid response, a rapid reallocation of assets, maybe uh, movement of people, you know, if, if, if entire cities are sort of burning or whatever. You might need to very quickly evict people and, and set them up in, uh, in tent camps. So you need some emergency powers to deal with that kind of thing. But, you're, you, but you don't think it's a state of emergency because the state of emergency bar in South Africa, in order to qualify as a state of emergency, uh, there basically has to be huge amounts of public violence. So like the July riots could well have triggered a state of emergency. Um, that, but natural disasters in themselves don't trigger states of emergency, uh, but might very well require these em- emergency powers. So we got the Disaster Management Act, and it said, here's what can happen. If just as long as the minister or the president thinks there's a disaster, you, you, you say it's a disaster, then parliament is going to have to turn a blind eye to a lot of what comes next. And the, the minister can then just keep extending it. But of course, the minister, you know, can only extend it a month at a time. And as, and as soon as it's clear that it's no longer a disaster, then, then the minister will stop extending it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Have, and are you saying we are? It's no longer a disaster. It is no longer a disaster. It's not been a disaster many times. 
It certainly wasn't a disaster in September, October, November last year and most of December when the cases, you had to sort of zoom in the Our World in Data spreadsheets or the South African Coronavirus Data Spreadsheets in order to find the cases, uh, deaths and hospitalizations. It was, it, we just had the record lowest uh, incidence rate since bef- since the first wave in those months and yet it was continually reappraised as being a disaster and this was done on the on the basis of the claim i mean firstly of momentum remember that lamini zuma said we couldn't vote in november uh, the iec said we wouldn't be able to vote uh in october or, or, or campaign or do any of that stuff because there'd be so much coronavirus flying around all the independent scientists told the Mosoneke commission that we'd be in a trough most likely uh but that was that scientific uh, advice was ignored Anyway, so part of it was momentum and part of it was the thought that there, 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 there will be another wave. And instead of preparing for the next wave under standard democratic uh, procedures with constitutional norms protected partly by parliamentary oversight and scrutiny, uh, they thought, no, 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 we need to keep the emergency procurement measures that basically allowed for digital vibes. We need to keep all of this like stuff in place in October and November so that we can – uh, do very, very well at beating the coronavirus pandemic when it comes along, if it comes along, which it sure enough did. And guess what? According to Shabir Mahdi, a virologist, uh, and I think one of the braver uh, science, medical experts, uh, its professor, um, the, the fourth wave saw fewer deaths than the average flu season in South Africa. Um, and according to just about every expert that you see on TV uh, in December and January, they're all saying what we said, what I said in our press statement in, in October, early November, which is that cases are going to divorce from deaths. Cases and deaths have gone up and down together in the first three waves, but that is not going to happen in the fourth wave because of simple scientific reasons, because of new immune protection, which has largely been, which for the majority has occurred because of um, getting infected in the earlier waves and then recovering. And that means They've got a lot of protection. And for the minority, for the smart minority, I would say, um, getting vaccinated. But add those together, you know, just, uh, and, 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 and you're going to have a very different situation where there is a case spike, large numbers of cases, but not a lot of, um, of deaths because people's immune systems have, you know, we've got antivirus. There's new antivirus. So now the virus is not, doesn't perform the same when there's a lot of antivirus. Part of this was Omicron is, Milder than Delta, but not milder than Alpha, Beta, or the wild strain that emerged from Wuhan. So, you know, it's clear that the overwhelming effect was the the, the convalescent and vaccine protection. Um, even the Department of Health has come to admit that 70 to even 90 percent of South Africans have been infected. So, which puts us in a in the unique position of being the world's most infected. I mean, we have had the worst response to COVID, the most unemployment increase, the most infections. Uh, and age, and age adjusted, one of the most deaths. Um, we're a young population, so in absolute numbers, those are pretty low. And on top of it, in the, in the last trough, you can see that the excess deaths, uh, you, I, I, uh, the way I'm seeing the statistics, we find, we we saw excess deaths that were from lockdown, um, in, uh, September, October, November last year, for sure. 
So uh, we're also possibly lining ourselves up, quite likely lining ourselves up to have had the world's most deadly lockdown in the sense of creating all of that poverty and chasing people away from uh, medical checkups and so on. So it's been a nightmare, but the, the disaster, whatever the disaster is right now, it's not coronavirus. In my mm. opinion, the disaster is the National Coronavirus Command Council. Mm. But, but, but I mean, the, the National Corona Command Council is, is sort of the ultimate sort of uh, uh, slap in the face of democracy. I mean, Parliament has just literally been shoved to the side, to sit on the set deadline, on, on the sidelines rather, and sip tea. Um, it, it essentially has, omni- it's, it's omnipotent. And as you launched uh, your your petition and your campaign, uh, was pretty much exactly the moment when NDZ extended it for another month. And I'm wondering, did she she actually think about anything or she just thought, or was it just kind of, well, let's let's keep things going, we're in control, uh, you know, better, whatever. Did she think anything? So that is a difficult question to answer, Sara. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure I can say no. But we have asked her. Our attorneys have been in contact with her attorneys for a long time. Ever since, uh, uh, you know, our... Our love letters started to be exchanged when Lamini Zuma tried to cancel the election. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've continued ever since. We have asked her, what is the thinking behind this? And the responses we've gotten have uh, been inchoate, nebulous, um, uh, impenetrable to my faculties of understanding. Uh, <laughs> so we continue to push so, so here. Otherwise I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we continue to persevere. And I do think, look, at this stage, uh, whether it's us or someone else is going to pick up the baton or we all go together. Legal action, if they don't, if they don't, uh, how do they say it in the movie, Sarah? This is going to end one of two ways. Yeah. Easy way or the hard <laughs> way. Right? They, they, they're going to end the state of disaster or we're going to end the state of disaster. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I there, there's a clear record of them not providing reasons for extending it in the first place. They currently this week, I must just add to that, that uh, Minister Joe Patla of the Department of Health has finally admitted on Friday, just as we were about to, uh, as we'd announced, just after we announced that we would be delivering our 16,000 petitions. 16,000 signatures to our petition to end the state of disaster, disband the command council and amend the Disaster Management Act. Partlet held a press briefing and said, okay, we see the pressure from civil society and we're going to have a meeting. You know, we understand that the state of disaster must end at some point. Uh, we're going to have a meeting with the command council to think about how that's going to happen. That meeting is probably taking place tomorrow. Oh, okay. um, so our, we will be pressing for a description of, of of what the thinking was behind that. But so, and Sarah, in terms of how hard it is to tell whether there's any thinking, mm. one of the questions we've asked is, do you guys even keep minutes? Do you guys even mm. keep an attendance register? Never mind what do the minutes say. When you have a meeting, do you even observe the most basic mm. norms of professionalism? When you're having a coronavirus command council meeting to decide when South Africans can go to sleep and what kinds of shoes they're allowed to wear and whether a rotisserie chicken is an approved item for sale or not. How do do you even keep minutes? Do you even have an attendance register? Even that has not been answered in anything but a sort of caveated, strange sort of word cloud that really resembles English only insofar as the words are all definitely English words, but not insofar as a meaningful sentiment is, is conveyed. It's, it's what's what's really strange is is that a state of disaster is serious, but it's not as sort of Im- immediately 
uh, as much of a crisis as a state of emergency. But with a state of emergency, is that after a month, you, the, the, the government, they have to go back to parliament. Correct. To, to approve a renewal of a state of emergency. With a state of disaster, um, it's, uh, it's determined, it's, it's administrative act by the relevant ministers, NDZ, and it can just keep rolling over and over and over. And I don't know, it sort of strikes me, and I, that, you know, as you say, so, the act, well, the act is intended to really have broad powers, uh, expended from the centre down to, to create a state of readiness for, uh, disasters, but, isn't the problem with disasters the fact that they're usually disasters because you can't predict them? You can't be sure where they're going to happen. You can't be sure what they're going to amount to, what the, what the level of, of destruction is going to do. So you've, you've got a sort of really broad-ranging piece of legislation that is very an easy way to undermine democratic parliament, democratic governance. Yeah. So I think that, uh, firstly, I, I, I started... Um, Looking into, I, I read various, the, the, the European Union has put out several reports on how countries within the EU have responded to the pandemic in terms of issuing emergency powers. And uh, from there, it then extrapolated to various reports on how countries around the world were doing it. And you, you really will be pressed to find, I cannot find any country that you would call a constitutional democracy, even a weak democracy, um, that has done what we've done. Everywhere else, here's what often happens. No emergency powers are used at all. In most mm. European countries, they've just used regular parliamentary processes exactly. to go through what needs to be done. Sometimes emergency powers are issued, disaster powers, emergency powers, whatever you want to call them, ex ante. That is to mm. say that parliament votes and they say, okay, the executive, you get two months to run the show. Um, you can make rule by decree and then we're going to review it and you're going to have to come and Every time you make a rule, you must write down the reasons, and then you're going to have to come back to us and mm. see if that made sense. That's ex post. That's Sorry, that's ex ante. Then a lot of the time it's ex post, which is how we have it in our emergency act, which is that the president can declare an emergency, uh, but then parliament has to review that and extend it. And by the way, with the emergency powers, it goes, the first extension is a simple majority, but the second extension – uh, you need a 60% majority. You need a supermajority of parliament mm. to vote to extend it. So that it's easier if, if a minority coalition is against it or there are uh, members of parliament within the majority coalition who think that powers are being abused and are, mm. are concerned about being punished by voters in, uh, in the next election directly, uh, they can they can then end the state of disaster and return to normalcy. We are just about the only place on the planet that – sorry, let me correct this. There were a couple of European countries that were in the same position as us where they had sort of strange legislation where they, they basically made a loophole, slightly carelessly had created a loophole where there was neither ex post nor ex ante parliamentary review of this abrogation of parliamentary powers. In other words, the president can take away parliament's power and parliament can't take the power back. Okay? What those parliaments did was pass laws to allow themselves to take the power <laughs> back. Because the power always is in Parliament in a sense. Um, the problem is that with South Africans not realizing and with Parliament uh, kind of sleepwalking, um, the, 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 the majority's oversight role is, is pretty useless. But Parliament itself is not useless because there are a lot of minority parties, lots of different minorities parties, that exercise their capacity for scrutiny mm. in the judicial pro- – in the, in the committee review process and – 
secondly, and perhaps even more importantly, if there is one thing that I think most South Africans agree on, is that there are bulldogs in the wilderness. There is a media. There are some sleepy, sleepy dogs that pretend to be watchdogs and they're, and they're just not. But there are a lot of active citizen groups, and I do include the IRR within that, who are hungry for important, pertinent information to block nefarious government action. And if you have a normal parliamentary process, it forces it forces the, the, the can of worms open. It forces uh, disclosure of what the reasoning is, what the, what the substance is. You need white papers and green papers and so on that lay out whether you know, less uh, uh, limiting uh, methods of achieving the same end have been considered, for example, mm. where there's any kind of impact assessment has been done, for example. That gives us a chance to step in and, and, and block off really bad laws, as we managed to do, for example, with the constitutional amendment. Now, we don't win every time, and you win for a while, and then the next version of the terrible thing comes up, for example, the expropriation bill. But it, we would have been able to block uh, a, a, a lot of the ridiculousness, in my opinion. Had we, uh, we broadly as civil society, had Parliament been in the position of keeping its doors open, keeping its eyes open, having some scrutiny and oversight into the workings uh, of the pandemic response. But instead, this, this Chinese wall, uh, to use a business phrase, was inserted between uh, the power of decree and the people's power of oversight. And so, you know, the one hand could not know what the other hand was doing. And what the and what the government's iron fist was doing was murdering people. Uh, you know, fifty people died in police cust- in, in, in police custody or action in the first few weeks of lockdown, completely wrecking the prospects of two million people who lost their jobs. Uh, doing nothing to to address the logistics problems where most people probably did get infected in overcrowded taxis uh, while, while, while making it very hard to find work. Uh, so that we ended up having the worst virus performance in terms of the most infections, becoming the first country to, to, to get where we did with infections and the worst economic performance. I mean, they just completely could not have done worse. Mm. I really don't think that there's another country on earth that, that has covered itself in more shame during the pandemic in South Africa. And that is a bold claim. But if you consider that to find anything close to it, you'd have to start thinking about Iran or North Korea, and that even they, I mean, starting from a lower base, didn't do as badly, relatively speaking, in the last two years. It is it is flabbergasting to me um, that the Coronavirus Command Council has the chutzpah to, to extend once again uh, their command and control authority over ordinary South Africans' lives, but I, in my, in my, in my view, we have a good chance of making sure that this is the last extension. Uh, we're we're going to be fighting through Jan through Feb to make sure it's not extended again. Send a good signal to markets that you can invest. Send a good signal to constitutional Democrats that the norms of our democracy will be protected, that will be upheld, and that uh, and the and the midterm vision too to amend the Disaster Management Act so that this kind of thing can't ever, ever happen again. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Gabriel, I just wanted to keep you on for a couple of minutes on a lighter, yet not so lighter note, and just to give a little idea of what it was, the process was like to deliver the petition to, uh, to Parliament, to the union buildings on, on Friday. Yeah, it was not absolutely fabulous. <laughs> so we, 
we there was a team of four of us, Bali, Becky, Nicholas, myself. We went along to to do this thing which we've done before. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we delivered uh, signatures um, on. I think it's my fifth time visiting the union buildings, um, and we and we've we've pretty much won on all of those petitions. They, it really makes a difference when you when you when 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 South Africans make their voices heard through a pretty hardworking kind of diligent bunch of people who, who make sure the wording is right and, and make sure that the issues and the values are right. Uh, there really can be good work done there. Anyways, it's it's always been the case that you arrive and the, it takes about an hour or two to get through all of the hoops that you need to get through uh, to make the delivery. Uh, but this time we were foiled because all of the delegates in the presidency uh, for receiving petitions, memoranda and so on were, I was told, not around, uh, and I was told this is because it had, it is still so, it has been so close to the holidays. <laughs> so, you know, this was Friday before lunchtime. Uh, they had, people I was told had come into the office, but they had already left. So th- then I was told to go away and just come back on Monday, and I really wasn't happy with that. Um, so I said, let's give a call to someone and got back through to someone and arranged to meet on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. I arrived, uh, driving again back from Joburg at the Union Buildings on Saturday morning and was told no one had come in yet. And I said, okay, I'll wait a little bit. He said, no, no one is going to come in. This is now uh, the police officer who's, who's manning the gate, uh, Sergeant uh, Sako. Uh, and I said, but I was told yesterday, and in fact, it was on loudspeaker. The presidency told us, you, you heard it too, uh, the, that's, that uh, the, there was a particular person that I was appointed to meet. And he, uh, he said, no, 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 the one who was saying that was speaking without knowing. I said, but officer, how do you know what this uh, official in the presidency knows or does not know about her colleagues? And then he basically said that I was being a very cheeky uh, person and came and told me to stop asking questions and go away. And I said, well, I'd like to know your your first name, Sergeant uh, Sako. Uh, and then he said, you, then he came around the glass and uh, pushed me aside and threw the box out the door with the, the 16,000 signed petitions and, and physically removed me from the union buildings. Um, I've never been treated like that, and I wasn't treated like that at the Kochta Ministry. In fact, at the Kochta Ministry, uh, they were very civilized. And in fact, Lamini Zuma's um, delegates towards the end rather let the mask slip, uh, if I if I dare put it like that, uh, because we were very formal, and, and we made our exchange. We handed over the petitions. We agreed that the the receipt would be sent to our lawyers by their lawyers and that it would all go through the due process and we were very happy with that but uh, it was it was a friday now uh, we did it on the same day as the first visit and they said i said you know have a good weekend they said you guys must have a really good weekend enjoy your trip back to joburg i said yeah you know i'm going to be so happy if i hear that lamini zuma canceled the state of disaster we're going to have a we're going to have a really good time and they said yeah and then they caught themselves and they said no 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 <laughs> and then they laughed and then they walked away. <laughs> so I could see that they, they very much know what we know about uh, where the disaster really lies. Um, <clears throat> possibly because they're so close to it. But 
nevertheless, we were very well treated. It really was. It was human. It was friendly. It was kind of funny. Mm. Uh, whereas the union buildings experience was, was, was just, was just, uh, it was quite unpleasant and, mm-hmm. and unprofessional, I would say. No, I think, I think it's, uh, it's, it's more a reflection of how we are governed at the moment than anything else. I mean, we have a colleague who's, uh, trying to deliver correspondence to the uh, police ministry. And it just seems like the ministry is MIA. Um, and they haven't they've tried delivery, registered post, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe they're going the way of the, uh, of the post office. Um, Gabriel, thank you very much for that, uh, exposition and, uh, particularly that little, little sight of, of, the 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 dysfunction of uh, mm. of uh, of the management side of politics. Never mind the political side of politics. Yeah, I do think if I can just say, I think everyone knows what it's like to go to home affairs. Mm. It's just kind of weird that it's also like that at the union buildings. Buildings. <laughs> well, it all, it all it all originates from some uh, central uh, position. I don't know that those up there know what those down there are doing, or whether they care one way or the other. But. Uh, um, good luck with the petition, and uh, hopefully uh, we will not see another month extension from uh, yeah. from our minister. Help us out. Sign up ir.org.za. Go there or go to the Daily Friend. Uh, I'm sure you'll see lots of links. Uh, we, we we need to keep the petition growing uh, so that we can uh, end this thing. Thank you, sorry. Thank you. Sorry. Okay, super.